The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, 38-42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to Christ. Thank you for that, Garrett. Uh, so we are, uh, we're in our uh, newest series. We're calling it Encounters with Christ, and today's encounter is with Martha and her busy heart. And I know that most of us are going to have difficulty relating to this idea of a busy heart, but since it's in here, we have to talk about it anyway. So uh, the fiddler, fiddler on the Roof. Uh, if you've ever seen that play, there's a, there's a place in there where uh, the two daughters are in the process of falling in love, and uh, while observing his daughters falling in love, the, the father or the husband looks to his wife and says, do you love me? And she is insulted by the question, and here is her response, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Do I love him? For 25 years, I've lived with him, fought him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And then the husband timidly looks back at her and says, then you love me? His insecurity is this, things like shared experience, long-term mutual support and selfless sacrifice, long-term loyalty. These are all the fruits of love. These are the things that you're going to expect to show up when there's love. But these are byproducts of love. The essence of love is warmth, affection, desire, compelling us to enter into all these wonderfully dutiful commitments to one another. You can have all the duty and no delight. You can have all of the boxes checked and still have a rotten heart that you take into the relationship. You can have a whole lot of side-to-side and realize after so many years you don't have any face-to-face anymore. In fact, it's been years. It's what Matt and Lauren Chandler call the mingling of souls, a a withness, an at-oneness that Jesus Christ wants to have with Martha and with us. 
And so this is the 10th chapter of Luke. It's one of the more famous encounters that Jesus has with these two sisters. We've already uh, interacted with them a little bit as we uh, visited the tomb of Lazarus. But these two sisters uh, are Martha and Mary. So Martha, her posture seems to suggest that she thinks to love Jesus is to be actively laboring for Him. And that's the best way, you know, maybe an acts of service kind of person. If you're a five love languages kind of person. Uh, And then you've got Mary, who understands love as being, first and foremost, daily receiving from Him as you sit and linger with Him. Face-to-face leads to side-to-side, but side-to-side doesn't necessarily lead to -to face-to-face. It's what G.K. Chesterton once said, that you ought to let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And so that's what we're going to explore today. And, and, And by the way, it's important to say that neither Mary nor Martha even is incorrect in what they're doing and in what they're offering to Jesus. In fact, being busy, getting busy, getting things done for Christ is part of Christian discipleship. If you go just barely to the left of the passage we're looking at right now, we see that Jesus has sent out 72 of His disciples to go out into the world, to preach the gospel, to pray over people, to minister to and serve and feed the masses. And then right after that, the parable of the Good Samaritan, who sees a vulnerable person on the side of the road, changes his plans, works tirelessly to love the beaten down man back to life. And so this is not a referendum against service and being active and being busy. The concern that Jesus has here is one of sequence. Which comes first, the face or the alongside? And Jesus says, the face has to come first. You've got to be with me if you ever want to become like me. You've got to worship me before you could ever dream of serving me with joy. And so we'll look at both sisters. And let's start with Martha. Martha is impaired by what we could call performance fatigue. She's trying to, to prove herself when she has already been approved. There's something driving this frenetic behavior of Martha. The way Jesus puts it is that she is busy with much serving, busy with much serving. And so the Greek word there is diakoneo, which means service. It's also the word that is translated in the New Testament, deacon. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says about himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word there is diakoneo. So Jesus refers to himself as a deacon. And if you go to 1 Timothy 2, you get the qualification, uh, qualifications of these leaders in the church called deacons. This is the role of, of help, the role of service in the church. Diakonon is the word there again. And, and so there's no exception here. Martha is faithfully welcoming people into her home. This is the gospel virtue of hospitality because Christ has welcomed us, we welcome others. He rubs off on us in that way. 
And yet Jesus says to Martha in this particular moment, in this particular occasion, Mary has chosen something even better than that. It doesn't say that Mary has chosen the only thing that's important. It says that she's chosen the best thing, not to the exclusion of the other things. But Martha says, Jesus, my sister has left me. Well, that implies that she has already been serving. She's left me, and so she has been serving. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. This isn't a scold. This isn't Jesus putting Martha in her place. It is a tender correction, and I'll get to the, the why of, of why I say that in a few minutes. But, but what Jesus is saying to Martha is this, before you serve me, I have to serve you. Before you feed me, I have to feed you. Before you show your love to me, I have to demonstrate my love to you. Otherwise, all of your activity is going to be bereft of joy and bereft of anything that feels life-giving to you. It's just going to sap you. It's going to suck you dry. You need my face before you come by my side. And, and so, her problem is not a busy body. Her problem is a busy heart. She is distracted with much serving. Distracted. That's the key word. Much serving is not the key. Distracted is the key. The multitasker, the one who has to keep pulling out the phone to make sure the inbox stays as empty as possible, to make sure the texts are covered and responded to, never stopping, trying, you know, like the whack-a-mole to, to, to keep that checklist, the, 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 those ever-growing numbers of tasks managed and, 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 and controlled. So that's her distraction. There's no Sabbath there for Martha. Sabbath makes no practical sense. Who's got time for spiritual formation? Busy heart. And yet her diaconal ministry, her very legitimate diaconal ministry is spoiled by her chaotic center and by her cluttered core. It's what some have called the tyranny of the urgent, obsessing over secondary things to the neglect of what's primary. And what is primary? Love. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And only after that, love your neighbor as yourself. Revelation chapter 2, there's this letter that Jesus has sent to the church at Ephesus, and he says something similar. It's a whole church of Martha's. I know your works, your toil, your endurance. You've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Or you think about Peter, right? Jesus comes to him after Peter has betrayed Jesus. He, he's, he's disappointed himself by betraying the one that he said he would never betray. And he falls arguably even harder than Judas does. And Peter takes great pains to make sure it's Peter before anybody else who knows that Jesus is coming back to him to restore him. He says to the women at the tomb, go tell the others and Peter. 
It's right there in Mark's gospel. Make sure Peter knows I'm coming to him. And when Jesus comes to Peter, it is to commission him and to send him to do the works of the ministry and to, to do the works of the gospel and to feed and to serve and to preach to the masses. But he has a question for him first. And he asks three times, one for each betrayal, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because until you get that settled, that, that I want your face before I want your hands, I want your heart before I want your activity. Until we get that settled, you'll be of no good for me or for anyone else out there. Of course I love you, Lord. And then you see one of the, one of the most bold, free, courageous, to the uttermost, devotions to the gospel and to the kingdom that we've ever seen in what happened with Peter's life after that. But it starts with, we've got to get this love thing settled. We've got to nail that before we start thinking about crushing it with anything else. To the Martha in us, Jesus says, you are all work and no Sabbath. You are all side by side, no face to face. And this reveals your heart. On the surface, there's this J-ness. You, you Myers-Briggs people, you understand what that means. The J, the task list person, the get-her-done person. But beneath Martha's task orientation is this. It is a self-salvation project. She's trying to prove herself. And her vehicle for doing that, for some it's, it's, it's this, for others it's that, but for her it's it's through the vehicle of ministry. She's trying to prove herself. And specifically, she's trying to prove herself by excelling at what first century Jewish culture expected of women, and that is to take exceptional care of the men. That's what a Jewish woman built her identity upon, taking care of the children and taking care of the men, because that's what that culture expected of a woman. Her, her emotional non-negotiable, Martha's, is that, that she crush it. You know, maybe she's an Enneagram 3, like yours truly, workaholic. I'm going to show you what I got, even if I wear myself out doing it. I'm going to show you what I'm capable of, and that's where Martha is. But that's not Christianity. That's religion. Any message that says you got to do, 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 do in order to get favor, that's religion. That's Muhammad. That's Krishna. That's Buddha. Buddha's dying words were strive without ceasing. Jesus' dying words were, it's finished. There is a lot of collateral damage that happens around a worker bee who thinks Sabbath is dumb. It's right here with Martha. She looks at her own family member, her own flesh and blood, her own sister, and treats her own sister as support staff 
for her self-salvation project. And she punishes her when, she, when Mary doesn't live up to Martha's expectations. Starts with shaming and scolding, but in the form of gossip. Looking at Mary, Lord, tell her to get back with me and get busy again. And then self-pity. Lord, you're not meeting my demands to tell her to meet my demands. Don't you even care? See, Martha, in this moment at least, is seeing her relationship with Jesus as transactional. I strive, you reward. I accomplish and achieve, you give me a trophy. You know, Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last, he's in the process of, of writing the series of songs for the different Enneagram types, and he's written one for my type the achiever, the number three, and here's his lyric. Maybe I've done enough. Maybe this trophy isn't real love, and without it, I'm good enough. Gold, silver, or bronze hold no value here where work and rest are equally revered. So how about Mary? Mary's got the same commitments that Martha does. It's just that the sequencing is different. She begins with the face and then comes alongside Jesus Christ. It says in verse 40, she has left serving momentarily. You might call Mary a theological conservative. She has this voracious appetite for truth that comes directly from the mouth of God. And so she gets at Jesus' feet, which was where disciples went in order to learn from their rabbi. And she's hanging on to every word from Jesus. And in a way that we might not understand... In being the theological conservative that she is, she is swiftly becoming a cultural progressive. Because women did not do this with rabbis. She is violating the code of first century traditional Bible Belt culture. Just like the Samaritan woman at the well, the disciples were perplexed when they saw Jesus talking to this woman at the well, and we can't figure out why they were perplexed. Was it because she was a Samaritan and we don't mix and mingle with them, or is it because she was a woman, because men and women do not converse with each other in public? N.T. Wright speculates that Martha is upset by Mary's behavior for a couple of reasons. One, because she feels abandoned in the kitchen, but the other is that Mary is being non-traditional. Mary is acting like a man. She's crossing social boundaries that aren't supposed to be crossed. At that time and in that culture, there were two occasions where men and women would interact. One would be outside where the children were, 
the children were playing outside, that the men and the women would sometimes gather like, like we do, you know, in the backyard grill in the fall or what have you, and the bedroom. Those were the two places. Other than that, it was the men who would gather in this place called the meeting room in, in any house or any home, and they would gather, the men would, to discuss things like business, theology, world affairs, and so on, while the women did things somewhere on the side to take care of the children and to make sure that the men were properly provided for so they could do their meeting room thing. And here we have Martha, or I'm sorry, Mary in the meeting room, and not only in there, but sitting at Jesus' feet. This was seen as scandalous because she is assuming the posture of a seminary student. Now, there's one other occasion that I know of in the New Testament where somebody is sitting at somebody else's feet, and that's when the young Saul of Tarsus is sitting at the feet of his mentor, Gamaliel, in order to train to become a rabbi, an influencer, a teacher. So you might say that Mary is receiving rabbinical training, a master of divinity from her master. And this, this ends up playing out in the book of Acts. We see Anna the prophetess showing up. We see Priscilla who, who, who teaches theology to, to a well-known preacher named Apollos alongside her husband Aquila. We see Lydia opening a church in her house. We see Phoebe who is described as a diaconon or a deacon in her local church. We see Junia, who is well-known among the apostles. And so Martha's dogmatism about traditional roles, not that it's a problem to do traditional things, not that it's a problem for, for women to, to hang out with children and, 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 and make a home. Of course, that's not a problem. But it's not the only thing that a woman's created to do. She can do other things too. If God calls her in that direction... Martha's dogmatism about traditional rules only, about first century traditional Bible Belt culture only, is that she, is a, 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 she has become a disciple of her culture, not of the Bible. A disciple of Bible Belt culture, not of the Bible. Did you know there was a difference? There's a difference. Mary, as a disciple of Jesus, is counterculture. And that's, that's one of the things that's so scandalous and offensive. The other thing that makes Mary so countercultural is that her non-negotiable is not that she would comply with culture like Martha. It's not that she would do everything she can to make sure that Martha's eggshells don't crack because she's walked on them a little bit too hard. Her non-negotiable is not to win a cotillion award someday. Her non-negotiable is thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure. Thou art one thing I ask for, one thing I seek, that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord and behold him in his temple. The Lord is my portion. How many times do the Psalms say that? The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. My food and my drink is the will and the word of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. But the thing is, that this one thing, that this face-to-face -face thing, 
turns Mary into so much more of a servant than Martha could ever dream of becoming because Mary is liberated to serve not from a place of drudgery but from a place of joy, from a cup that's overflowing. You know, there's another dinner in John chapter 12. And once again, we see Martha being the one who's serving. And we see Mary breaking open a bottle of expensive perfume covering Jesus' feet. There's something about Jesus' feet that Mary loves. She's pouring out perfume, wiping His feet with her hair, just complete, unbridled, unembarrassed passion. And it's not Martha who criticizes Mary in this occasion for being not busy enough. It's Judah, Judas who, who criticizes her for being too busy. You should have just sold this, gave the money to the poor. That's what you should have done. Do the more passive thing. Just give a little bit of money. You're making us all uncomfortable, all this passion of yours. Restrain yourself. Because your passion is exposing our boredom with Jesus. And so we don't like to be around that passion. Mary's zeal for Jesus' feet is what energizes her zeal to serve, and she gets it done. You know, Martin Luther once said this. He says, I have so much to do today. I am overwhelmed by the day ahead of me which means I need to pray for three hours at the very beginning so that I can end up getting it all done. What gave Mary the freedom to stop, it was this. She knew that she was already approved. The verdict on her was already in, and here it is. Jesus has already pronounced it. Well done, good and faithful servant, before you do a single thing for me. How do we know this? He affirms her. Mary has done and chosen the better thing. And then Martha, Martha. In the Semitic language, the repetition of a name means tenderness. It means emotion. There's something from the gut. The repetition of a name, saying it twice instead of once, always reveals gut-level affection. You know, David, when his son Absalom has betrayed him, and and his heart is going out to to, to Absalom, desiring to to be reconciled to his son, and he cries out, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, or Jesus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Martha, Martha, I feel for you. Don't you think I love you? Do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow, and so on. No, no, Martha. Jesus' Martha, Martha is also Jesus' word to us. I think this is what he might say. How do you think your life would be different if you really believed that you had nothing to prove? Not to me, not to the world, not to yourself. And if you really believed that being loved was your starting point, that, 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 that your first and most essential task 
for me is to rest and receive from me. That I don't just love you, I actually enjoy you, and I'm utterly devoted to you, and nothing can ever change that. How would your life be different if you started, continued, and finished every day believing that even just a little bit? I love what Brennan Manning said to our inner Martha. Manning said this, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Worn out trying to prove yourself? Start here. God already loves you as much as He loves Jesus. God already enjoys you as much as He enjoys Jesus. Why? Because you've been clothed with the righteousness and beauty and loveliness of Jesus Christ. The well done was pronounced over you before you were even born. Jesus says, come to me long before he says, go for me and do for me. We have to get the sequencing right. Because when we recognize what our union with Jesus Christ, what our being his beloved, what our being one in a one flesh union, him the bridegroom, us the bride, really means, it really means that you've got a thousand medals around your neck already. You've got the Pulitzer, you've got the Grammy, you've got the Nobel, you're parent of the year, you've won the Cotillion Award, you've got more likes than Taylor Swift, you've got more followers than Justin Bieber. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and a great cloud of witnesses is cheering you on as you run your race. But maybe running your race sometimes means having your feet swept out from beneath you so you're forced to be at the feet of Jesus where your cup, where alone your cup can be filled. Here is your to-do list today. Class, here is your assignment. Start here. Receive Jesus' hospitality at His table in His house. Forget you being the servant and him being the served. You be the served and bow at his feet as he serves you. Because when you get low, when you feed on what Jesus has for you at his feet, you will gain the inner resources to serve him and to serve the masses with joy. And in being with him, you'll become like him. How about that? Let's pray together. Maybe I've done enough. Maybe this trophy isn't real love or the trophies that I'm chasing by the pursuit of an empty task list which will never happen. By the pursuit of an emotional kickback because my home is so beautifully and perfectly prepared. Maybe I've done enough in trying to achieve that certain body type or that certain level of fitness. 
Lord Jesus, all the fitness that you require is that we feel our need of you. So maybe we've done enough. Maybe these trophies aren't real love, and without them, we're good enough. Gold, silver, and bronze, they hold no value here in your home, in your house, at your table, where work and rest are equally revealed, are equally revered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.